pray to start, uh, so why don't you join me in praying. Father God, we thank you so much that we can be here again together and declare the truths that are in your word, and we can stand on them. And I just want to lift you up right now. I want to lift you up and thank you for your son, Jesus, who died for us, who chose to bear that cross and to and then came back from uh, the dead. He was resurrected, and we praise you for that this morning. And we receive and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak to us. Come uh, and be here among us this morning. In your name, amen. So as a child, um, my dad and my mum sometimes took me out to Godstone Farm. Uh, And if you've ever been there, you'll know that there's lots of play things for young children to play on. Uh, And sometimes I would be going along as a little kid with my dad holding his hand, and I would come to a wall, and the wall would kind of stagger up uh, as it does, and my dad would remain at ground level, and I would hold his hand, and I would climb the wall gradually, and the low tier was okay, and then the second tier was kind of okay, still had his hand, third tier, fourth tier, and then the fifth tier, he was almost too far away to, to hold his hand, so I would let go, and that's when sometimes the fear would set in. And as I got higher and higher, um, I, could, I could sense this kind of sense of foreboding, like, oh dear, what's going to happen to me? I might hurt myself, I might fall off. But then my dad would open his arms up and hold them towards me, and I would hold mine towards him, and he'd say, go on then, jump. And I would make the jump, but I would only make that jump because I knew my dad was strong enough to catch me. And I knew he valued me, and I knew he cared for me, and I knew that he would lower me to the ground, and I knew that if I asked him to do it again, that he would let me. But my point is this. Because I believed that my dad was able to catch me and support me and fulfill all those things, I was able to defy my fear and make the jump. And you're probably picking up that theme this morning already. Jesus has set us free from fear. We celebrate that. We celebrate his grace as well to us when we still cave into fear from time to time. But uh, I really want to focus in on Matthew's gospel again, as we've been doing throughout the Culture of Discipleship series. And I want to talk about how Jesus' disciples uh, are told not to fear. The, in, the title of the section I'm going to read is called Have No Fear. And we can do that if we trust in Jesus. And at the moment, we are not facing physical persecution uh, in this country, but many do around the world. Um, but the 12 apostles in Matthew 10 are forewarned by Jesus. They've just been given authority by him to go out uh, and uh, heal people, set people free, cast out demons, and so on. But then he warns them, you're going to be facing persecution in the time to come. He even says in verse 16 of Matthew 10, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He acknowledges that it's dangerous for his disciples, that they're vulnerable to attack. And he declares that they will be dragged before magistrates and rulers, persecuted and then killed. And he says, I'm the reason. It's because you associate with me. It's because you call yourselves my disciples that that's going to happen. If they do it to me, how much more are they going to do it to you? And then in that same chapter of Matthew, chapter 10, we get to verses 26 to 33. And it says this, So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? 
yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my father in heaven. And I spent some time uh, walking uh, and praying and talking this through with God and um, it was really interesting, the process of bringing all this together, because whenever you go and preach against fear, uh, you, in, you just get hit back with fear. And I had to walk along saying, God, I'm going to choose not to fear the consequences of preaching this to you and reading this tough passage where Jesus is uh, inviting but also challenging us at the same time. And I did manage to bring three points out of it, and they are accumulative. Um, so they, so one, point one plus point two equals point three. So... These are those points. Disciples choose to fear God, not man. Disciples know God is sovereign, values them, and cares for them. And therefore, we can acknowledge Jesus and say no to fear of man. So it's kind of one plus two equals three. So here we go. Point one. Disciples choose to fear God, not man. Now I'm going to start in Matthew 10, 28 for this point, And it says this. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And here Jesus is determining the difference between man and God. And this is quite a tough thing to get your head around if you aren't a Christian with us this morning. If you don't know the God of the Bible that well, it's this uh, combination of the fact that he is so enormously powerful and can do so much in the physical and the spiritual, yet we call him Father, and we have this tender, gentle, intimate relationship with him, and it's quite hard to get your head around. But Jesus is saying, look, the things that man do, they're temporary. And the things that God does, they are eternal, both spiritual and physical. And Jesus mentions hell in this passage. And just recently, it's come up a couple of times in conversation with a few people I know, but we, we don't talk about hell that much um, and it's because, most likely, that we, don't, we, know, we know that people don't like it. We know that when we speak to friends and relatives, that's not our uh, primary thing that we tell them. But the reality is hell exists, and Jesus talks about it a lot more than perhaps we give him credit for in that regard. And one of the ways he describes hell, he names it a place called Gehenna, and he says Gehenna 11 times uh, in the Gospels. And Gehenna was the name of a really deep gorge off the southwestern side of Jerusalem. And uh, it was basically the municipal waste dump of Jerusalem. And people would take offal there and refuse, and they'd burn fires there to burn up the material. And it absolutely stank. People would take the long route round Jerusalem so they wouldn't have to smell this dump. There's maggots there, there's worms there. And the point is, Jesus uses it. So that he, and refers to it because he knows his listeners at the time will understand the horror and the horribleness of this place. And he understands that uh, when they hear about Gehenna, they know that it's real and they know that it's terrible. And his point is, God can send you there and it is eternal. It's not temporary. Now, I have to confess, I'm not very good at this myself. As a disciple of Jesus, I'm trying to, to work on how I articulate hell to people because it is an important message to bring. And it's not something I do naturally. I go more towards the love and the grace and he wants a relationship with you. And, 
And I just sensed God challenge me on this and say, no, come on, you've got to get a handle on this, um, you know, yourself, and you've got to be able to articulate to this people, that, to, to people so they understand that hell is a horrible place, yes, and, and terrible, but it's also just. And it's, it's right that those that defy God must be punished and sent there. And hell was originally created for Satan and his demons. And that's the kind of starting place that we have. And um, I, this is a bit of an aside, but I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I just want to give clarity. And we read this quote on uh, Alpha on Thursday as well, but C.S. Lewis helps us understand um, hell and how uh, people end up there. He says, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. And hell's important for this reason. It, it does give us that fear factor in the sense uh, of not wanting to go there, but it also shows us just how much God loves us. Hell doesn't make God less loving. It actually reveals the depth of his love, which went to hell and back in the form of Jesus for us. It's also important that we disciples don't forget it, and we don't misunderstand the reality of hell as well as we do um, the God that we hold in that balance of powerful but gentle and kind and loving. We have to remember that by putting our faith in Jesus, we've been saved from this. The reality of hell should fuel our kingdom mission to warn others about it. So Jesus wants us to have this healthy fear of God because he's the one who, if people reject him, sends people to hell in that regard. He is the final judge. God has just as much power to create life as he does to destroy it. And a healthy fear of God is found by acknowledging his power and being in a state of awe. And again, another confession from me, I, lo- I lose this from time to time. I forget how big God is. I forget how powerful he is. And uh, I kind of thought this over a little bit. And I came up with some examples which helped me remember, oh, actually, God, you are... Yes, very much in the intimate, but you're very big, very strong and powerful as well. And the first example I've got is from Isaiah 37, where Hezekiah, the king at that time, is, defend, is defending a siege in Jerusalem from the Assyrians. And these Assyrian armies come, they're about to overwhelm uh, the city, and they have mocked God. And God, in response to this mocking, sends one angel down to take out the Assyrian army, and it says... In Isaiah 37, that this angel takes out 185,000 men in one night. And that was that. Wiped out. And it just says they woke up and found the bodies. And it was one created supernatural being that God sent. It wasn't God himself. It was something he created and sent to destroy these people. Just gives you a bit of a sense of the awe of God that must have fallen on Jerusalem the day after. Or how about this, a more uh, science and nature example. The sun is out today. Praise God. Uh, It glorifies him. And the reason I reference the sun is because the sun emits more energy every second than all the human beings that have ever lived, have ever managed to produce since the dawn of time. Just blows my mind a little bit. That's how much energy the sun produces every second And God sustains the sun. He's the one that keeps it going. It keeps it ticking over year after year. So every time you look up up at the sun, it proclaims his glory. 
gives you a state of awe. And you go, God, God, you put that in motion. Or how about this example from the Psalms, Psalm 147, verses 3 to 5. It says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. We only have to go over those verses and reflect on them to gain a state of awe. He is interested. Our God is interested in the brokenhearted. He wants to heal them. He loves them. Yet at the same time, he determines the number of stars in the sky. And he calls them each by name. <laughs> yes, he's mighty in power. And in a culture, in a world now that uh, just has a real thirst for knowledge and understanding of everything, the Psalms got there before us and said, well, God's understanding has no limit. We are limited beings. God is not. And another example from the Old Testament, when Moses took the Israelites out of Egypt, you may know that story well. We actually sung about it in the song earlier on. God split the sea. He held back water, creating a path of dry land for them to pass through. It's symbolic in some way of baptism, which we're going to be having in May time this year, which is really exciting. And it kind of just shows, again, God is so high and above and powerful over the laws of nature. But my final example, to remain in awe of God, you need look no further than Jesus. Amazing. You read about him in the Gospels, you read about his miracles, his teaching, his resurrection power, the ability, the strength he had to come back from the dead. It's quite incredible when you investigate it. And if you're not a Christian, I would encourage you, go and read uh, about Jesus, go and read of his life and his claim to be God, which was fulfilled by all those amazing acts. But if those examples uh, weren't helpful enough for you, um, and actually you're feeling a bit like the balance between the mighty power of God and the tender lovingness of God uh, can't by, quite be equated in your mind, then uh, I just want to bring you to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, if you've ever read that book or um, seen that film, where there's a, a beaver, funnily enough, talking to Susan about this. And uh, I just want to read you the conversation they have about Aslan, who represents Jesus in this story. Mr. Beaver said uh, to, to Susan, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, says Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. I'll tell you. It's good to have a reverent fear of God because his mighty power is not safe, but he is good. And you know that once your faith is in Jesus, you recognize that, you experience that. The point, has, the point is this. God has got such great power to save and destroy, and the disciples of Jesus must choose to fear him over man. They must not fear man, they, or anything else for that matter. Disciples who make that decision have a huge impact on the kingdom mission that we've been called to do. If we can get over this by, through Jesus, then we can have a huge impact. And that is point one. Disciples choose to fear God, not man. That's the, the one. So number two, disciples know God is sovereign. He values them and he cares for them. Now we've recognized God's power. We have to recognize now his sovereignty, the fact that he is outside of time 
and space, and he's interested in the detail. So in verses 29 to 31, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Imagine you're admiring the hairs on the head of the boy in the picture behind me. Yeah. Well, Jesus, when he's saying this to his disciples, is allowing them to reflect on the fact that God not only is able to provide for them, but he points out that God is interested in the details and highly values his disciples. And um, sparrows, if you're wondering, back then, uh, were considered the smallest of creatures. And equally to today, the penny, the Roman coin, was the one of least value. And uh, he's comparing, he's contrasting the disciples with these sparrows. And naturally, my mind wanders when I write these kind of things. So I instantly thought, I wonder how many sparrows there are in the world that God knows about. Uh, And so I put it into Google. Uh, And apparently, there are billions and billions of sparrows, and no one has ever counted them. (laughs) Yet not one falls to the ground without our God knowing about it. And then further detail, the hairs that are on your head that are numbered. Um, and for people like my dad, this is less of a problem. But the, the issue, the thing is, uh, in this text, he, he says, look, even the hairs of your head are numbered. That's the level to which he cares for you. And again, the question came into my mind, how many hairs are actually on the average head? And uh, apparently there are 100,000, uh, there you are, and 20 individual hairs from a person's lifetime. And average hair loss is around 100 strands a day, which I can testify to, which is sad. Uh, But anyway, the (laughs) point is, even though the hairs on my head are reducing, uh, which I guess is okay, um, God God doesn't just round it up. He doesn't just go, oh yeah, you've got hair on your head. He goes, I have numbered every one. There's one, there's two. He has done that. That's how much he loves his disciples and how interested he is. He is sovereign and he knows. And the only way I could really get my head around this was comparing it to when, uh, again, I was a child, and uh, suddenly, somehow, I realized that my parents knew stuff about me that I had never told them. And obviously, parents are clever like that. They ask other people what you did at nursery, and they just watch you, and they just know you. They just know you inside out. And that was the only thing I could equate this to, is actually, God knows me better than I know myself. And it's as if I was that child going, how do you know that about me? Like, huh? But he's God. He knows. And the verses point us back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, which Kevin spoke about at the beginning of today, um, which explains about not even having to worry. And when I was a kid, that was a big deal. Worry was a massive thing for me. I was really, really anxious. But actually, God commands us and says, don't worry. Don't be anxious. I'm sovereign. Trust me, who is above all and over all things. Disciples need to know deep down that God values them and cares for them and wants his best for them. So that's point two. Disciples know God is sovereign, values them, and cares for them. And we kind of had the one, the plus, plus the two, and now we get to equals number three. Because we know God's mighty power, but tender love, which is in balance, and because we know that he cares for us and he loves us and that we can trust him and that he is sovereign outside of time and space, we can acknowledge Jesus and say no to fear. This is kind of like the equals part of the sum. If you're a mathematician, you think of it like that. Point one plus point two equals point three. So point three, acknowledge Jesus and say no to fear of man. So we're going to look at the verses that frame this passage, that frame these uh, few, uh, this bit of text that we've been looking at. And the first part is 26 to 27. Jesus says, 
So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Up until this point, Jesus' ministry has been pretty secretive. He said, don't go and tell anyone. Uh, And then typically someone does go and tell someone who he is. But that's what he's been trying to do. He's been saying, wait, 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 wait. And now he's saying, right, go, disciples. Begin your kingdom mission. Go and tell the world about me and tell them that you are my disciples. But most of all, tell them about me. And he declares that all will know him one day, either in this life or at the final judgment He says to the disciples, go and proclaim this good news. They're all going to find out in the end. And after he said this, we move to the end of the passage, and it's verses 32 to 33. And Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Now, when I read that, I kind of went, ooh, (laughs) it's kind of a crunch point. Uh, And we're just going to look at it for a moment. The two pairs of verses that we've read, 26 to 27 and then 32 to 33, actually provide a really powerful combination, a stirring combination for us because Jesus invites the disciples in those first two to undertake the kingdom mission, to go and proclaim the good news and identify with him. And then those last two, he challenges them to acknowledge him when persecution comes, when the going gets tough, when people are coming after you about it. And it's something that we must all consider, yes, when we are disciples, and remember when we are disciples, that we must acknowledge Jesus publicly and take uh, whatever comes at us as a result, face the consequences without fear. That's Jesus' instruction. And interestingly, on Alpha, just coming to the end of the course now, we've uh, been talking about this. I, I talked about it on Thursday. I said, look, don't Don't decide to put your faith in Jesus lightly. Count the costs. Weigh it carefully because this cost is great. You're giving him your life. You're putting your life in his hands. And we were honest with them. And uh, understandably, lots of people are now thinking it over on Alpha and they're considering it and they're weighing it carefully. But we face this reality. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, then actually you need to carefully think about that. Before you acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior, you've got to Remember, you're putting your life in his hands and laying down your own agenda to follow him. Because we know those two first points, that God is mighty and incredible and he cares us and he loves for us, there are actually a lot more things we can stand upon that Jesus has said that allow us to say no to the fear of man. I'm going to name a few of them for you now. Jesus is mighty to save us. Zephaniah 3.17 talks about God as a mighty warrior. And if you've ever sung that song, uh, He is Mighty to Save by the, the Hillsong guys, um, then you'll know that that's what that, verse is, uh, that song is all about. It's that verse saying Jesus is the mighty one. We don't look to ourselves for salvation. We look to Jesus. Matthew 6, we've mentioned already, God loves us, cares for us, provides for us. Matthew 28 to 20, Jesus said, you can say no to fear because, well, he didn't say that. He's, in 28 to 20, he said, uh, I will be with you to the very end of the age. And that's the reason that we don't have to fear man. We don't have to fear man because Jesus said that he would give us the words to say in Matthew 10, 19, by his spirit. He said that we don't have to fear physical death in this life because the things that God, man can do to us are temporary, but the things God does are 
eternal. We understand as disciples of Jesus that death in this life is not the end for us. It's not the end for us. Therefore, why would we fear it? It's going home to see Jesus. So thanks to all these wonderful promises, we can face all the circumstances of life that come to us as a result of acknowledging Jesus. And this means, just to bring it home really in a way, at work when colleagues ask us questions about our faith and about Jesus, we can stand firm and say, yep, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of his. Or perhaps when you're on the badminton court or the football pitch or the hockey pitch in my case, you can identify as a Christian. And if someone does get injured, you can say, hey, can I pray for you? I'm a disciple of Jesus. You don't have to fear their response. And I've, to be honest, I've done it before and people have just laughed. I mean, we've been losing at half time sometimes and I've gone, should we just pray? And they, they've gone, what? <laughs> I found it funny. Uh, they, they didn't, but anyway. It was, or perhaps if you're at school and someone asks you about your faith and uh, it was interesting, it was great to hear Hattie up here the other week. Hattie Wallace doing a testimony. Uh, high five to you, Hattie, wherever you are. Um, just saying, look, I've started to tell my friends that I'm a Christian. And yeah, some people are asking me questions about it. And equally, Artie, on a Friday night, uh, not so long ago, said, I've started to tell my friends that I'm a Christian, and one of them's coming to this social that we're running. And they're doing it because they trust that Jesus is who he claims to be, the Son of God, and did resurrect from the dead, and they believe it. They can say no to the fear of man because of Jesus. We can stand in his promises and say no again, again, and again. So that's our third point. Because of the first two, we can acknowledge Jesus and say no to the fear of man. Uh, And those points were that disciples choose to fear God, not man. We hold it in the balance. He is mighty and powerful. He's tender and loving towards his disciples. Point two, disciples know God is sovereign. He values and cares for his disciples. And then point three, because of these, we can acknowledge Jesus and say no to the fear of man. So I found a helpful summary statement Uh, in case people are still struggling with that fear of God versus perfect love kind of thing. And uh, the question uh, the author that I found, William D. Eisenhower, uh, asked was, so how does fear of God, who is perfect love, take away fear? It's kind of a difficult question to answer if you think about it. But he wrote this in Christianity Today. He said, unfortunately, many of us presume that the world is the ultimate threat, that that God's function is to offset it. How different this is from the biblical position that God is far scarier than the world. When we assume that the world is the ultimate threat, we give it unwarranted power. For in truth, the world's threats are temporary. When we expect God to balance the stress of the world, we reduce him to the world's equal. As I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses an ominous threat to my ego, but not to me. He rescues me from my delusions. He so he may uh, reveal the truth that sets me free. He casts me down only to lift me up again. He sits in judgment of my sin, but forgives me nevertheless. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but love from the Lord is its completion. Love of the Lord is its completion, and Jesus showed us how much he loved us by coming to this earth, by laying down his life for us and living a perfect life that was then offered to us in exchange for our sinful lives. He truly, truly loves us. And standing on his promises, we can stand strong in the face of persecution. But in case you want to find ways to apply what we've kind of talked about today 
uh, to your life. I do always try and slot in some applications. So here, here you are. My first point of application would be to find ways to remain in awe of God. Use Bible verses, daily facts, statistics, um, words about creation like the sun that I mentioned. Find things that just make you go, wow, God is incredible. My second bit is that mem- uh, memorizing the promises Jesus made to us to stand upon. I've mentioned them already. Again, post-its. Um, I know Sophie's got a daily calendar thing. She flicks over and it's got like a promise or a bit of scripture on. But it's hers. You can't have it. Um, <laughs> but you can get your own. Um, or, and thirdly, pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit will come and fill you. And you might be like I was when I was a little kid, walking along with my dad um, and getting to those various stages in life or uh, points in your walk with Christ where you're going up the tears. Um, you're walking up the wall. But what I want you to walk away with today is the confidence and the knowledge that Jesus is mighty enough to catch you when you make that jump. And he values you and he cares for you and he'll lower you to the ground. And even though sometimes he'll need to reach up and lift you down because you're too scared, he'll always be there to do that with you. And um, when we put our trust in Jesus, it enables us to deny that fear. And I want us to respond to this and um, I want to respond by inviting the Holy Spirit to come because God has promised us the Holy Spirit. And we are a word and spirit people. And in 2 Timothy 1, 7, Paul writes, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And I believe God wants us to receive his spirit again this morning because his perfect love drives out fear. So whatever you're fearful of this morning, God can drive it out with his Holy Spirit. And I'm going to ask Tim and Carrie and Ashley to come back up and just play in the background. And a little while ago, I had a picture that I read in a book by Simon Holly, and it was that of a river. And some of you might remember, um, I preached about it a little bit, and it was about this river which represented the Holy Spirit flowing through us. And within that river were various rocks of different sizes. And in that same picture, I saw God removing the rocks. And Simon Holly describes this in his book, Sustainable Power. And I just was reminded, that when putting, reminded of that when putting this together. And I just sense that God wants to take out some rocks of fear so the Spirit can flow even more powerfully. So why don't you stand up with me and we'll just pray this through. You can, um, you can close your eyes if you want to and, uh, and if it's helpful, you can hold your hands out, but you don't have to. But I don't know what you're fearful of this morning. It could be that simple fear of man that we talked about, telling people, telling your friends, telling your relatives, colleagues, your classmates perhaps, that you're a disciple of Jesus. You could be perhaps fearful of a particular person's reaction to describing the fact that you're a Christian if, you're, if you haven't told them yet. You might be fearful of persecution, physical pain. You might be fearful of being alone. You might be fearful of death or fearful of being disliked because you're a disciple of Jesus. Well, because of these things that we know, this God has put them in Scripture, we can say no to whatever your fear is today. You can defy that, knowing that God is mighty enough to catch you. You can choose to renounce the fear and say, I'm no longer a slave to you, fear. I'm a child of God. And then you can invite the Holy Spirit to fill you with love, power, and self-control. 
And if you want to do that this morning, then uh, everyone's eyes are closed already. Uh, you can just hold out your hands in front of you. And this is really between you and God. It's nothing to do with me really, but I just want to pray and perhaps you'll pray at the same time. Father God, we want to lift our fears to you. We want to lift our fears of persecution or fears of man to you right now, God. And as that river flows through the hearts of believers in this room, God, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you take these rocks of fear out? Will you take these things away that are stemming the flow, that are getting in the way, God? Because of you, Jesus, we can do this. And because of your spirit, we know you can change us in an instant. So I ask, would you come now in your power? And for anyone here this morning who hasn't yet put their faith in Jesus and you are rightfully fearful of God and the consequence of your sin, I want to offer you the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus. Just be sure you've counted the cost. Be sure you want to follow him. Be sure you want to be free. And perhaps pray after me. Pray something along these lines. Dear Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. I'm sorry for the sins I've committed against you. I want to turn away from those things I know to be wrong and receive forgiveness, salvation, eternal life. And now I invite your Holy Spirit to come and fill me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning and you want to talk it through, um, I'll be here at the end. You can come and find me. And uh, we're just going to finish off by worshiping together. We're just going to lift God up again. And uh, I'm not sure which song we're going to sing, to be quite honest with you. Um, but just hold that truth in your heart. Hold those truths that we've talked about. And let's worship.